screen. Did you just push got it right here? No, look at the screen. You'll see it. It says got it. Perfect. Okay. Hey, good evening, everybody. Welcome. It's good to see everybody tonight. And um, we're in a different location. We're actually here in Haverstraw, New York. We're at the building that we rent, and we are working on some technology. We're trying to pull together our technology so that we can have hybrid uh, meetings and have them very, very efficiently. So um, it is, uh, again, great to see everybody. And uh, why don't we start off with a prayer together? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that we can study out Mary and her life. We are so grateful for the inspiration that we draw from her. And I pray that our study of your word tonight will help all of us to be inspired, to be encouraged, and just to desire to uh, serve you more and desire to be more and more like Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to be a different class tonight. Uh, we're... we're because we're working on technology, I'm not going to be able to do the songs tonight. Also, um, obviously, I pray instead of having somebody else pray. And we won't have many announcements. I do want you to know that uh, in the Hudson Valley, uh, we are going to have Zoom services. I know it was on the bulletin that we would be hybrid, but we decided because of technology and just trying to work on the quality there, uh, we are going to be at a Zoom service for the rest of the month. And then hopefully on February 6th, we'll come back to, we'll have the option of being in person. That's the hope. But we'll be checking on that week by week. Um, also, remember that February 5th, we are going to be, um, we're going to have our racial justice workshop with uh, Paris Cunningham. It's going to be great. That's from 10 to 12. And then one other thing is that on February um February 5th, is it February 19th? 19th? February 9th, thank you. February 19th, we are going to have a married workshop. So this is actually going to be a married workshop part three from Jennifer Conson. And that's gonna be from one o'clock to two o'clock in the afternoon. So you can put that on your calendar. There are other announcements, but we'll save those for Sunday. Tonight, we're gonna to be looking at Mary, continuing on to look at her life, and we want specifically to look at what I call Mary's escape. Last week, we looked at Mary's destiny, and we studied that her destiny was one of suffering. You remember Simeon said to her, and a sword will pierce your soul. And tonight, we're going to continue on after that story and look at how Mary and Joseph and the infant Jesus escaped from Bethlehem to Egypt. This story is found in Matthew chapter 2. So if you want to turn over to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at that story right now. Okay, I'm going to start Matthew 2, and I'll just start reading, and you can follow along with me. Verse 1, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod the Great, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. The Magi asked, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly disturbed, and all Jerusalem was as well. He assembled all of the chief priests and the experts of religious law of the people and inquired of them where this Messiah King was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they answered, for it is written in the prophets, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you will come a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly met with the Magi and learned from them the time when the star first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search for the child. When you discover him, report this to me so I may come and worship him too. After the interview with the king, the Magi followed the star which they had seen at its rising. The star guided them until it stopped over the place where the child was. Seeing the star, excuse me, seeing the star had stopped, they were beside themselves with great joy. They entered the house and saw the child was with his mother. They bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they returned to their country by another road. We'll continue on in verse 13 now. <clears throat> when the Magi left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod desires to kill the child. So he got up and took the child and his mother by night and left for Egypt. They stayed until Herod died. This happened to fulfill the word of the Lord through the prophet, which says, Out of Egypt I called my son. In verse 16, <clears throat> when Herod realized that the Magi had tricked him, he was enraged. He gave orders to kill all the children in Bethlehem and the surrounding region who were two years old and under. This was based on the report of the Magi as to when the star first appeared. Then the word of the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and much mourning, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, he said, and take the child and his mother and return to the land of Israel for the ones who desire his life are dead. Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and returned to Israel. And when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. After being warned in a dream, he went to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. This, thus the word of the prophets was fulfilled. He was a Nazarene. Okay, that's a rather long reading, granted, but there's... Um, some, good, some points that I want to make, hopefully good points that I want to make uh, from this. But first, we're going to look a little bit at the background, then we'll focus a little bit on Mary, and then we'll draw some hopefully practical points from all of this that we're looking at here tonight. The first thing I want us to say, I want to say is, I want us to look at the Magi, and I just want to debunk a myth or two about the Magi, okay? So who were these Magi? We can't say for certain um, because we're not exactly certain where the word comes from and, and uh, uh, where, where these people came from. But uh, some say they were Jewish sages that came from the diaspora from the, when Israel was taken into captivity in 722 BC by the Assyrians. That is possible. However, other scholars and actually more scholars believe that they were Gentiles, Gentile astrologers and uh, magicians, which were really not allowed in Israel. Um, and so it's interesting that this group that's not even allowed in Israel, they traveled to Israel in order to worship Jesus. They studied stars. So it's interesting that Matthew's gospel, which is honestly, it's the most Jewish of the four gospels, includes a story of Gentiles, includes a story of Gentile magicians, 
and includes the story of Gentiles astrologers that study the stars, and he includes this in his gospel. So what is this saying to us? Um, it's saying that even those who are dispossessed, even those who are outside of Israel, um, they uh, came and saw Jesus and worshiped Jesus. So that's one thing I wanted to say. The other thing I wanted to say as far as debunking a myth about the, the Magi is the traditional nativity scene at Christmas with Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus and shepherd and sheep and wise men and cattle, it's not accurate, okay? Most likely the wise men weren't at the scene at the manger. In fact, that's pretty certain. Instead, they saw the star at the birth of Jesus in the east. They traveled west and came to Bethlehem and they probably didn't arrive until Jesus was around two years old, which is why Herod targeted uh, children that were two and under. He wanted to know when the star appeared because he wanted to know when this child was born so that he could target the, the, the right group of, of children. And so he, he ended up targeting children two and under. It also mentions that the Magi entered a house. They did not enter a stable. They entered a house. So Jesus was more than likely a toddler. He was walking around. He wasn't a baby in a manger. And he said, well, you know, thanks for ruining the Christmas story. <laughs> well, I didn't mean to ruin the Christmas story. I'm just trying to be accurate. And um, I think it is important for us to be accurate. I don't want us to be, uh, you know, like uh, crazy about that. Uh, when I see that, I don't really point it out, except maybe to my family. I don't want to ruin it for everybody, um, but I think it's important for us to read the Bible carefully. That's my point, okay? I have a point from all this. My point is, read the Bible carefully. Don't just look at tradition. Just don't look at the stories around you. Just don't accept all that. Read the Bible carefully. Another myth I want to debunk. Oh, man, this, is, this whole evening's about debunking myths. Well, no, not really, but there is another one. How many wise men were there? Okay, you can put it in your chat, but be careful, okay? Because I am trapping you, okay? How many wise men were there? Oh, somebody just put it in the chat. Actually, we don't know how many wise men there were, all right? We know there were three gifts. Three gifts were given, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh, Newsom family got it right without Selene being there. Selene is... <laughs> Here with me, working on technology. Way to go, Newsom family. Woo, woo, woo. Good job. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, he's so proud of you. Oh, man, he's over here glowing. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's pumping the air. <laughs> Doing a little dance, yeah. Uh, we don't know how many wise men there were. We do know there were three gifts, which is why people used to think, oh, the three is wise men. That's why there are songs about the three wise men, but they did give gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So there were three gifts, but we don't know how many wise men there were. So I want us to focus in a little bit now on Mary, because again, in this story, it focuses on the Magi, it focuses on Herod, it focuses on Joseph, and, and Mary is mentioned. She's mentioned, but you don't really get the scene uh, uh, from Mary's perspective. And uh, so, Let's just focus a little bit on Mary right here. Imagine Mary's reaction to these magi. And remember, there's not necessarily three. 
I'm going to say there were a dozen. Okay, I'm just pulling that number out of the air. Maybe one for each tribe of Israel. Uh, that that uh, the Magi arrive at her front door. Remember, she's in a house. And they knock on the door. And Mary opens the door, and there's Magi all around them, dressed in these beautiful robes with these headdresses on of different color. And uh, she is wondering what in the world is happening right now. They enter the room, which in that day and time, room, the houses were really made of one room. Okay, they had a basically one room house, and the roof was used to dry uh, clothing and to dry fruit. And then there was an, a, a porch outside that was used for four different houses, and they shared that as a common area. So they're there in the common area with all of the other neighbors looking on, and then they come into the one room and probably fill the room. And again, these magi were dressed in long, flowing robes made of fine, stiff, stiff fabric. Their headdresses were made of silk. Let's say that one was ruby red, another one was orange, my favorite color. Another one was gold, another one was turquoise, another one was emerald green. And so all of these, all this fabric and all of this color, all of a sudden enter this tiny room. And for Mary, there was nowhere to turn. And so she squats next to her toddler, Jesus, who's actually standing beside her. And you got to realize that the men broke social convention by entering the room without Joseph being present. That basically wasn't allowed. It wasn't, it was frowned upon. It was Mary and, and her toddler, Jesus, and now a room full of men. I'm sure very quickly, she covered her hair with her veil because she was only supposed to allow her husband to see her hair. And the Magi, they probably didn't even look at Mary. When they entered the room, they probably actually disregarded her because they didn't come to see Mary anyway. Uh, they didn't care if her hair was covered or uncovered or even if it was on fire, okay? That's not who they came to see. They stared without blinking at this toddler next to her. In fact, they not only stared at him, the next thing is even more um, extravagant. They bowed. They, these grown men from the other side of the world bowed down before this toddler. And you can only imagine Mary's thoughts here. Mary must have thought, what are they doing? Why are they bowing? Then she realized they're worshiping. They're worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping my toddler. You know, this is the same toddler that I've been chasing around the room all day, trying to keep out of trouble. This is the same toddler whose linen diapers I've been changing all day and allowing him to roam around on this dirt floor. This is the same toddler that I, I rock to sleep every night. I mean, Mary adored her child, but she didn't worship him. She didn't bow down to him. And now here are these grown men in their finery bowing face to the floor. That's what it means. You bow prostrate. You're not just, you know, making a nice little gesture. They went face to the floor in front of this toddler in order to worship him. This is an amazing story. And for Mary, it must have been incredible. So Mary watches as these strangely dressed men placed before Jesus three finely decorated boxes. 
One of the men opens the first. Mary gasps. Her eyes bulge. She's never seen real gold before. She's a poor woman from a poor village. She's seen small bits of gold and jewelry only at wedding celebrations. People didn't wear that during the daytime hours on a normal day. But she's never seen gold like this. Gold nuggets. Gold in a, in a treasure box like this. And I'm sure her eyes bulged out. Another man opens a second box. It's filled with these gummy pellets made of a golden resin. And Mary immediately smelled the fragrance of the pellets when the box was open. It, it had an earthen smell to it. But she couldn't, she identified it as, I've smelled that in the temple before. But she didn't know exactly what it was. So she just asked, what is this? And the Magi answered frankincense. The Egyptians use it to bomb Pharaohs. However, your priests, they use it in worship. And he closed the lid on the box. And he slid it, not toward Mary, he slid it toward Jesus. And then the third one was wearing an emerald green turban. And he pushed forward a, 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 the third box. He opened it, and it contained slabs of a copper-colored resin. Its fragrance filled Mary's nostrils. It smelled of wood. It was sweeter than the smell of frankincense. It reminded Mary of her family's gravesite, which was cut into a hillside in Nazareth. She had entered that cave only a few times, but this smell reminded her of that site. But she still didn't know what it was, so she just asked, and what's this? And one of the Magi said, it, um, this is myrrh. It's used for embalming. This particular type of myrrh comes from the east, which is where we live, east of Bethlehem. It's not easy to find myrrh of this quality in this country or in Egypt. Twice the Magi mentioned Egypt, and Mary found that strange. She thought, perhaps they're going to Egypt after they visit here. Mary looked at the Magi, and she said, thank you, but we have no need of these treasures. Your gifts are far too extravagant for us. But the Magi said, please accept these gifts. You may have need of them in the future. The cryptic nature of his answer disturbed Mary. She felt a chill float down her spine. She knew that she would not sleep well that night. And in fact, she didn't sleep well that night. One about Magi looked at the other one, and they, again, all of them bowed prostrate before the entrance before the infant. They touched their forehead to the floor. Then they rose and they exited the room. After they left, the silence that existed in that room was palpable. Mary gathered Jesus into her arm. She tucked his head into the, his head into the uh, nap of her neck. And, she, and Jesus said, Emma, which is mother in Hebrew. And Mary began to cry. This was the first time that Jesus had said, Emma. Mary pulled back the tears. She looked into Jesus' face and she smiled. Yes, I'm your Emma. I'm Emma. I'll protect you. I'll never let anything happen to you. But she remembered those words later in her life. Then she added, but for now, we need to hide these boxes before the neighbors find them. <laughs> and that's what she did next. Now, Mary, her Let's, let's go on to the next part of the story, okay? 
This is a story where they get ready to flee for Egypt, which was very very quickly after this story. Maybe that same night. That's how I envision it. Mary heard Joseph shuffling around the room. It was late in the night or early in the morning. Mary didn't know which. But a shuffling had wakened her from an unsettled dream that included magi and camels and pungent odors. Mary whispered, Joseph, what are you doing? Stop, you're going to wake the baby. Joseph said, get up, Mary. We must leave. Mary turned over to go back to sleep. Joseph stepped to her side, tapped her on the shoulder and said, Mary, I'm serious. You must get up. You must help me pack. Why, asked Mary. I'll tell you when we're on the way. You will tell me now, Mary said. But Joseph took her head in his hands and he said, Mary, I don't have time. Please help me pack. And Joseph's attic, Ahuvuti, which means my love in Hebrew. Get ready. We must go. Mary rose and started folding bed linens. He said, leave those. Take only what is necessary. But these are necessary. Only what is necessary, Joseph insisted. We'll buy more in Egypt. And a sword pierced Mary's soul. Egypt? She asked. Did you say Egypt? Yes, answered Joseph. Stop, Mary said. Are you serious? A dream, Joseph said. I had another dream. And a sword pierced Mary's soul. A dream. That's all Mary needed to hear. A dream. It ran through her head. A dream. Joseph needed to say not another word. Mary darted and grabbed Jesus and grabbed the very competitive things around him. And she said, I'm ready. Let's go. Mary thought, how are we going to afford these new things? But then she remembered the gifts of the Magi. She decided to pack only what was necessary. She did keep the swaddling clothes that she wrapped Jesus in as a newborn. She put them on the top of the gold in the box of the Magi and left them there. She treasured these soul claws more than the treasure itself. Mary heard a wail come from the distance, a piercing wail from the north of the village. It sounded like a woman screaming in pain. It pierced through the night air. It cut into her soul like a sword. What was that? Mary asked Joseph. She picked up her toddler and placed his head on her shoulder. Jesus remained asleep. It's time, said Joseph. We must hurry. He turned and headed out the door, and Mary followed. So I see that as what Mary saw when the Magi came, and then when they had to get up in the middle of the night and flee for Egypt. And I want to make a couple of points from this story, and then we'll be done for tonight. The first point I want to make is simply God provides. God provides. Even before Joseph and Mary knew they had to escape to go to Egypt, God had already provided a means of escape through the gifts of the Magi. God does that. He provides us with blessings in life. And we don't even know sometimes why those blessings are there. They're just there. And they're there so that when that moment in time comes where we need them, they'll be there for us. And that's the way it was uh, with Mary. In my own life, you know, I, I wasn't a great student in high school. And mostly because I wasn't challenged in high school. I could float by, and so that's what I did. I floated by. Then when I went to college, I was challenged. And I was able to choose subjects that I really wanted to study. And I was able to study Greek, and I was able to study Hebrew and New Testament survey and Old Testament survey 
and literature courses. And I ended up getting a double major in Bible and in English. And I went to seminary in North Carolina. And I went because I loved to study the Bible, but I also wanted to do ministry. And I didn't think that my study in seminary would really equip me that much. It, I just did it because I loved it. I just did it because I liked to study. And I wanted to take more Greek and Hebrew, and so I did. And I took theology, and I took history courses, church history courses. And I became a part of the International Church of Christ, where honestly, when I became a part of it, uh, study wasn't valued, especially seminary study, wasn't really valued. It was more valued that you had boots on the ground out there doing ministry, out there studying the Bible with people, out there building a ministry. That's what was really valued. And so I, I thought, you know, all of this that God has blessed me with, the Greek, the Hebrew, the New Testament, the Old Testament, um, it's there, but it, it'll never be used. But then all of a sudden, because God had provided, I was called upon to do more teaching. And I started writing. My first book, it was a book called The Beginning of Wisdom. It's a topical index for the Proverbs. I, read it, I wrote it so long ago that you didn't have individual computers at that point in time, okay? I had to type it out on a typewriter. And when I made a mistake, I had to use, some of you remember this, I had to use that correct it. Either, you either used it and you, uh, you, know, you, you painted it on the page or sometimes there was a tape and you put it in front of the key. Some of you guys remember that. Now you remember it, be honest. And that's what I had to do in writing that first book. And I was like, and I thought, you know, well, I'm doing this, but who's ever who's really going to read it? And, and now I've written many, many books. And why? It's all because God provided. I had no idea that I would be using these gifts, but now I'm using them because he provided and he said, you know, you'll use this in time. You'll use this in my time. And that's exactly what he did. He did with Mary. He provided for her, even though she didn't even realize it. When those magi showed up at the door, she had no idea that her next stop would be Egypt. Probably Alexandria, Egypt, which is way west in Egypt, um, far away from, from, um, from Cairo, because that's where the biggest the largest Jewish population was. A million Jews lived in that city at the time. That was, that's humongous. And so she probably ended up there. But here's the thing. We need to recognize God has blessed us. He has provided. And the key to knowing how God has provided is to count our blessings. What are your greatest blessings in life? Not only that, what are the blessings that you tend to overlook? in your life. Maybe your greatest blessing is your gregarious personality, or maybe your greatest blessing is that you're an introvert. I, I didn't realize for a number of years that my being an introvert, it's a blessing. It's a gift from God. For years, I looked on my being an introvert as, as a curse, honestly. I thought, God, why did you make me this way? Especially when most of the leaders in the ICFC were A-type extroverts. And here I was trying to keep up with them. And there was no way that I could. Many charismatic leaders that could just turn on their personalities. When I was, I was hoping to find a personality, okay? It was, it was like, God, what am I doing here? But then, and I had people at times quote verses to me and challenge me. Like they, I constantly heard 2 Timothy 1.7. 
God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. And it wasn't until later that I realized that there were timidity is probably not the best translation. It's actually cowardice. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice. And there is a difference. You can be a timid person and still not be a coward. In fact, some timid people, simply by speaking up, simply by being present, simply by sharing, simply by being around people, are courageous. That's courage on their part, just to show up. And yet I constantly got bombarded by that scripture. It was used over and over, just hammered. <laughs> people hammered me with it. And uh, it wasn't until later that I realized, well, that's really spirit of cowardice. And that's not what I have. That's not what I am. I'm just an introvert because God made me this way. And uh, there was another verse that was constantly not only misquoted, but misused, a bad translation was used. It's Matthew eleven twelve, where it says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and forceful people lay hold of it. And that was used as if forceful people lay hold of the kingdom of God in a good way. And so if you're gonna lay hold of the kingdom of God, you have to be a forceful person and you have to get out there and you have to, you have to just make it happen. Well, the verse is actually speaking of the forceful people in a negative way. It's saying the kingdom of God is there Forceful people try to do violence to it. It's used in a negative way. The verse was taken out of context. It was used in the wrong way. And, and it was used to try to disciple me. Well, it wasn't until years later that I started to, when I matured, when I grew up and started feeling comfortable in my own skin, that I realized, you know what? There's a power that comes with being an introvert. Quiet people are intentional. Quiet people are problem solvers. Quiet people don't feel the need to speak up first. Quiet people don't feel the need to take up all the air in the room. Uh, they're comfortable ruminating. They're comfortable thinking. And God made us quiet. Susan Cain wrote an amazing book called Quiet. And you can also find a TED talk that she uses that she did on quiet. Um, and you know what? I, I realized that God provided all that for me. For years and years, I looked down upon it. And then I realized, you know what? This is a blessing I have overlooked. The fact that I can sit there, the fact that I can sit there alone for hours enables me to study a lot more than some other people can study. It allows me just to be there in my thoughts so that I can, I can write and I can put words on paper more than some other people can. So whether you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. God made you as you are. Relish that. Cherish that. Grab that as a blessing of God and see that God has made you the way that he wanted to make you. So I encourage us all, and this is my first point, God provides, but look for his provisions. Look for his blessings. Look for the blessings that you might have overlooked in your life. Spend some time this week thinking about those blessings. Blessings that you normally don't think about. Count them. Write them down. Share them with a trusted friend. But mostly just value them. Know that they're there in your toolbox so that you can use them when you have need for them. You know, I used to love to watch the old TV show, Batman. Some of you guys know that show. 
the same people that remember correct type. And <laughs> but Batman was a was a corny, a super corny TV show. But one of the love, things that I loved about Batman, I love this Batmobile, okay? You gotta love the Batmobile. But I love this utility belt because in that utility belt, he had all these cool gadgets. I mean, he had a boomerang, he had a grappling rope, he had a remote control for the Batmobile, he had a torch, he had an oxygen mask that he slipped over his nose and then swam underwater. He even had bat cuffs to arrest criminals with. I mean, there was so much stuff in that little utility belt of Batman. And here's the thing, all of us, get this, you gotta get this, you following me, okay? All of us have a spiritual utility belt. You like that, right? That's a good image. Okay, all of us have a spiritual utility belt. And God has filled that spiritual utility belt with all kinds of blessings. Well, don't overlook those blessings. Instead, value them. You don't need to pull them all out at the same time. Because some of them are meant for specific seasons of life. But they're there. And value the spiritual utility belt God has given you. Okay, point number two. Here we go. Point number two, go where God sends. God provides and go where God sends. This is where, what we learned from the life of Mary tonight. And the fact is, we don't always know where God is going to send us. But he opens doors. And the thing is, when he opens a door, run through it. Be looking for his open door. See the open door and then run through it. Um, when he closes the door, recognize it's closed. Don't try to pry it open because God has closed that door. But then when he opens the door, go for it because we need to go where God sends us. When you explore this story, you see that Mary wasn't expecting to go to Egypt, but that's where God sent her. And he sent her through Joseph, through Joseph's dreams. And then when it's time to return, they got another dream. And it was, they were going to settle back down in Judea, back down in Bethlehem, but Archelaus was the new king and he was just as bad as, as his father, Herod the Great. And so another dream said, nope, don't settle there. Go back up to Nazareth so that Jesus will be called a Nazarene. In all three cases, okay, God opened those doors and each time Mary ran through. You know, what's, what's going on in her life is kind of a reverse exodus because the people of Israel, they were in Egypt. They got the call of God. Moses was sent to them. And then they got out of Egypt and went into the promised land. Mary was, was in trouble, was in a perilous situation in Israel, in Bethlehem. And she was told, go down to Egypt. It's like a reverse exodus. Uh, but... She accepted that, and they went to Egypt. Since they were in harm's way, God opened a door, and they ended up probably going to Alexandria, Egypt. Later, when they come, when they, it gets time, when Herod the Great dies, Joseph gets another dream. Hey, here's another open door. What happens? Mary runs through that open door. And then when they're about to land in Bethlehem, uh, the, another dream that Joseph has, and they say, nope. Uh, the, the, Joseph hears, no, but go instead to Nazareth. Another open door. This story teaches us to look for the open doors that God sends us. 
But you know, the opposite is also true. Recognize the closed doors and don't try to pry them open. One of the toughest things for me in life is just learning to say no and learning to accept no. I have a tough time with that. I'm a guy who likes to, to answer yes to everyone. And um, you know, people ask, can you do this? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'll do it. But then I get myself so stressed out <laughs> and, I, um, and I don't do a good job because I have too much to do. And I've just learned over the years that, you know what, I've got to, I've got to learn to say no because God's opened this door and he's opened this door and I need to go through those doors. But this door, I can just leave it shut and that's okay. Learn to say no at times and learn to recognize which doors are closed. And when they're closed, don't try to pry them open. That's an important, um, important lesson for us to learn in life. If, if, if not, then we're going to end up getting stressed out. We're going to end up not doing well. We're going to get, end up getting too stretched. But pay attention to the open doors because in those doors, and you can really track in those doors. You can really do your best in those doors. Um, you know, I, I like to go hiking. I like to get out in the woods and I like to hike. And I often go up to the Ramapo Mountain State Forest which was once the land of the Roman, uh, the Ramapo people, uh, the Ramapo um, Lenape, yeah, Lenape tribe. And I like to walk back in their tribal land and I like to walk on the paths that are there. Um, and I, I, I take this uh, app with me and I try to always look at the app. And one day I was following the app and the app actually took me to a place where there was a dead end and I couldn't get back. Uh, it was the wrong path. And it was so difficult walking back because I was out of water and because I walked downhill following the path and the path was uphill going back. And that's an important lesson that we follow the right path, that we stay on the right path. Why? Because wrong paths can be draining. So what I'm saying is look for open doors. Also look for closed doors. And when you see the open doors, run through them because God provides. If you see the closed door, don't try to pry it open because if you open too many doors, then you're going to get stressed out. So follow God. Look for God. Let God guide you. I really appreciate Joseph and Mary because they were opening, they were open to listening to God's voice. And they were open to allowing God to discern their path for their lives. Are we like that? Sometimes God makes the path clear. Other times the path is less clear. That's why we pray. That's why we listen for God's voice. And sometimes also God speaks through other people. In this case, with Mary, whom did God speak through? Joseph. God spoke directly to Joseph in a dream, and then Joseph spoke to Mary. God does that. Sometimes he speaks through other people, but we pray. We listen for God's voice. We listen to other people, and we always pay attention to what God is trying to tell us. So look for the open door. Run through the open door. The door is closed. Don't try to pry it open. Just accept it. Look for another door and go where God sends you. God led Mary, Jesus, and Joseph to Egypt for their safety. 
He then led Joseph, Mary, and Jesus to Nazareth for their safety. Where is God leading you? Thank you for being part of this study. We'll have one more study on the life of Mary next week. And then our series will be over at that point. I hope you're enjoying it. I'm having a good time with it. And until then, have a great rest of the week. Uh, loving God, serving him, looking for those open doors, and counting your blessings. Thanks, everyone.